Tonight, we're starting a new series. We are switching gears from imperfect people, perfect God, to a question that you may have seen on our social media. And that question is, if you're taking notes, I want you to write our series down, because I, I want you to keep your notes, hopefully, for years to come from these next six sermons that we're going to do. And the series title is a question, Who Am I? Who am I? And what I have is I have three two-part sermons that I'm going to give you from now to December 5th. So tonight we begin a part one and part two. After that, we'll do another part one and part two, and then we'll have one more to close out the semester. So we're really going to slow down. We're going to pump the race, and we're going to dive deep into some, some big concepts that come with being a follower of Christ and our identity, which is massive, which is crucial, which is critical. So the question we're going to ask is, who am I? Now, I hope you're going to get as loud as you can. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to John chapter 1. Amen? That's it. Have we gotten better? Sound a little better in here? We're improving, yes. John chapter 1 is where we're going to land tonight. And at the top of your notes, I want to give you tonight's sermon title. As you turn to John chapter 1, as you find that place in your Bible in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John chapter 1. And the title, if you're taking notes for tonight, is this. In Christ, I am accepted, part one. In Christ... I am accepted, part one. A crucial, crucial message. Nobody likes rejection. Can I get an amen? Have you ever asked somebody out on a date and been rejected before? Somebody's like, too many times. Somebody was like, Pastor, I've done it three times this month. I'm struggling, right? Like, we, we have faced rejection. Nobody likes rejection. There's not a single person in here who enjoys being rejected. When I was in the fourth grade at recess at Bartlett Elementary, I don't know where you went to elementary. I went to Bartlett Elementary, and real ones came out of Bartlett Elementary. Amen? Hallelujah. And at Bartlett Elementary in the fourth grade for recess, we played kickball. I mean, I love kickball. Anybody love kickball in here, right? Can I get an amen? There's one, two, three, four. We got this group right here. We'll play later. I love kickball, and I'll never forget. In the fourth grade, as we approached May, As we got to the end of the school year, our teachers came together and they allowed us to do something that I thought was really incredible. I was telling my wife this the other day. They allowed us to do a massive kickball tournament at the end of the school year. Now, as a fourth grader, you have to understand, that's way better than a pizza party, right? You've seen the meme of the tiny pieces of of pizza that they give you. It was better than that. And we got to do a kickball tournament. And, man, I was so excited for this tournament, PJ, because I'll tell you, man, I thought I was a superstar at kickball. I wanted to shine. I wanted to impress all the other fourth grade ladies. I wanted to be seen and I wanted to be known and I was excited for this opportunity. And what happened is, man, you know how these stories go. They stick with you. They scar you because they hurt. There were some team captains and they start picking teams. About four or five people get picked and I'm still on the board. I'm a little confused. Fourth grade Daniel is sitting there thinking, man, I should have been picked first. And, this, and, and it keeps going. And it keeps going, and little Daniel's getting his feelings hurt. And out of 30 kids, I get picked second to last, Trey, <laughs> second to last. And I'm standing there doing everything I can not to cry, I promise. <laughs> I'm about to bust down in tears. Because here I am thinking that I am a superstar kickball player, and my peers have just let me know, hey, there's only one other person we don't want besides you at the end. And that hurts. 
Because what's crazy is it's goofy and it's silly when you think about it, but kickball has nothing to do with my identity but the rejection of that hurt as if it did. Right? And that's why rejection stings so bad. Sometimes it's goofy, sometimes it's silly, sometimes it's not being picked for a sports team, but rejection hurts and rejection sticks with you. No matter what to say about kickball in the fourth grade, I'm 28 years old now and I still remember that feeling. I still remember being only one of two people standing on the line waiting to get picked, feeling rejected. Now, every single one of us in here, I felt that kind of rejection, but let me get serious for a moment with you. There's a rejection that we have felt that's a lot more serious than kickball. There's some of us in here who have experienced rejection in the form of an absent parent, right? Some of us grew up with a single parent. We never knew our dad. We never knew our mom. And we've wondered for our entire lives why they would reject us, why they would not want to have a part in our lives. Some of us have felt rejection when it comes to the church. We want to be included. We want to be involved. We want to experience love when we go into the church. But for whatever reason, we get rejected and we don't experience that there. Some of us have experienced rejection in our friend groups. We want to fit in. We want to belong. But no matter what we do, we just end up feeling alone and rejected. Some of us have experienced rejection in the form of an addiction that we can't break. And it's because of that addiction that we have that those around us don't want anything to do with us. And then lastly, some of us have experienced rejection in the form of never amounting up, never being enough, always failing, never achieving enough, never feeling like we can do enough to really be seen, to be known, to be loved. And we walk around our lives feeling rejected. Divorce, pain, hurt, Rejection is not fun. In fact, the rejection we experience in our childhood helps shape who we end up becoming. And what we do from that college students when we experience rejection is we want to turn to one of two things. We either turn to the Lord or we turn to the world for acceptance. Now tonight what I want to do is I want to turn your attention towards the great acceptance that we have when we turn to Jesus Christ. And how that is so much better than the world. How many of you know that the world will reject you the minute it gets the chance? Have you learned that yet? (laughs) The world will reject you the minute it gets the chance. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, we have acceptance. Now, when it comes to sin and when it comes to our past, there's a lot of us who have a hard time really believing that we'll be accepted by God because of what we've gone through, because of the sin that we've committed or the mistakes that we've made. And don't tell me that I'm the only one. Don't tell me we don't have a room full of young people in here who struggle to believe God really loves them, at least from time to time, especially when we're caught in a sin or we're caught in a stronghold. We really fail to believe that God will still accept us at the end of the day, even if we repent, do we really find acceptance. Now, I want to tell you the reason why you're walking around feeling so beat up and feeling rejected. I want to tell you why you feel like the love of God is not enough for your acceptance. It's because you have an enemy and he is called the accuser. The enemy is described in Revelation as an accuser. Did you know that? In fact, I'll turn your attention to Revelation 12, verse 10. It says this. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come. Because, look at this, the accuser, that's the enemy, of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. A tactic that the enemy uses against you is accusing you. And as he continually accuses you of things that you have repented of, things that you have laid behind and laid at the feet of Christ, that begins to draw in you doubt and confusion and fear over the acceptance and the love that you have in Christ. So what we have today is we have a lot of believers walking around struggling to believe that we really have acceptance and love 
and protection in Christ. And when you begin to fear that you have that in Christ, you will look for it in other places. What I want to do tonight, I want you to walk away trusting this right here. If I could put it in a phrase, it would be this. If you are in Christ, you are accepted, you are loved, you don't have to worry or wonder because both are tiring. Both are tiring. Now as we turn to John chapter 1, let me point a few things out to you. We're looking at the first 13 verses tonight as we talk about acceptance. We could spend hours and hours, really days, talking about the first five verses of John. That's not going to be our landing point tonight. Where I want to land tonight is I want to turn your attention most to verse 12 in chapter 1. And I want us to talk about what it means to be a child of God. As we leave the room tonight, my prayer for you is that you would have more confidence in who you are and who you are as a child of God. And so if you, will, if you will, look with me at John chapter 1, verse 1, and let's begin to pick this apart. It says this in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We could spend 10 hours right there. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, that being Jesus Christ, and apart from Him, not one thing that was created that has been created. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light, Jesus, that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. Look at this, verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. In other words, as Jesus came to this earth to offer us salvation, how many of you know that over the course of history, there have been many, 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 many people who have rejected Jesus Christ, who have rejected the salvation that Jesus Christ offers, that have chosen, what that means is chosen not to repent of their sins and call on Jesus as their Savior. For whatever reason, there's a multitude of reasons, right? Some don't accept Jesus because they want to continue to live their own lifestyle. They don't want Jesus to be Lord, right? Some can't wrap their mind around the fact of how all things were created through him, and they want to follow science, even though science points to Scripture every single time. There's a multitude of reasons why people reject Jesus. But ultimately, John, in the first 11 verses, it's very clear that while we can have acceptance in Christ, Many people never do, and it's because they've rejected Christ themselves. Isn't it amazing that in our search for acceptance, so many humans have rejected the one who came to accept us all if we will repent? Isn't that crazy? God bless you in the back. Isn't that crazy? Now, verse 12, a powerful one. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, we are so grateful for your word, for how it doesn't return void. And Lord, I pray tonight I would hide behind it. Lord, we don't want to walk away with anything that's not of you. So Lord, I pray if there's anything in my notes you don't want me to say, take it out. Add whatever you would like into my notes tonight, Lord. I pray that you would speak tonight every word. And Lord, as we talk about what your word says about being a child of God, Father, I pray that you would help us to know who we are, 
to have an identity that's rooted in you and not easily swayed by the storms of life. Father, I pray for this entire room that you would bind the enemy. Lord, bind distractions, bind discouragement, remove it from this place. Lord, we are grateful to be here tonight. And if that's your prayer, would you say amen? Amen. I have one main point for you tonight, and I have three takeaways from that. Here's my main point. You are amazingly adopted as a child of God. You are amazingly adopted as a child of God. So our main takeaway that we're going to walk away with is what it means to be a child of God. Now, let's talk theology here when it comes to being a child of God. There's some misconceptions amongst the world and amongst Christians sometimes about who really is a child of God, right? Because that's a a popular thing to say sometimes, right? Now, let me remind you, scripturally, everybody is made in the image of God, but not everybody is a child of God. You say, whoa, 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 hold on there, Pastor. No, we're all children of God. That's not scriptural. The difference between being made in the image of God and being a child of God is found in Scripture. John 1 describes it this way, that in order to be a child of God, you must be adopted, right? This sermon, I really do, if anybody in here is adopted, I really do pray this sermon encourages you a little bit more because I'm going to share some statistics on adoption. I think it's one of the most beautiful things that you can do. But in order to be a child of God, you have to be adopted. What does that mean? Do you, do you like literally get adopted? Kind of like Nicodemus, right? Like asking, like, what do you mean I have to be reborn? Understand that to be adopted into the family of God, to be a child of God, there must be first and foremost repentance. You have to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's, let's get this on the front end. You are not a child of God. If you have never had a moment in your life where you turned from your sin, confessed that Jesus is Lord, and believed in your heart, God raised him from the dead. If you haven't had that moment, you are not a child of God. You're made in the image of God, right? You can become a child of God, but ultimately, to be a part of his kingdom, to be a part of his family, you cannot do that by your own willpower. You must repent. That's why John is very clear to say that many have rejected it, Fernando. Many have rejected Jesus. They've rejected being adopted into God's family. They've rejected it. But to those, what did it say in verse 12? Go back. To those who did receive him, Jesus, that's not just receiving something casually. That's truly receiving, Gabby, the Lord. To those who truly receive the Lord, you have the right to be called a child of God. Now, that's incredible. That's incredible. In fact, Romans chapter 8, verses 16 to 17, say this to follow up. says that the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Paul's talking to the believers. And if children, oh, I love this, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now let's stop and take a moment. Have you ever thought about the greatness of being adopted as a child of God? Hallelujah. Is that lost on you? Like, do you hear that and think, man, that's kind of weird. I don't really like being called a child of God. Just call me a Christian. Like, have you really realized the greatness of being a child of God if you are one? Do you know, J. Lee, how special that really is to be called a child of God? Because Scripture is not shy about it. Scripture celebrates it. The fact that if the father of of the creator of the heavens and the earth, if he is your father, your personal Lord and Savior, that James, that is something every day for you to walk around rejoicing in. That's why if he's the one who made the day and you know him, you get to rejoice in it, right? 
That's amazing. But we hear, oh, I'm a child of God. And we're like, oh, yeah, that's a great song for fourth and fifth grade camp. I hope they sing it at worship to teach the kids some good theology. No, if you know Christ, you have been adopted into a family and you are held onto by a hand that Satan can't pluck you out of. Hallelujah. I guess I'm the only one excited about being a child of God. I have no problem. I'm excited about being a child of God. You don't have to be. I am. I hope you are. If not, tonight's the night. I pray that you would. But if you're not excited about being a part of God's kingdom, then you're missing the meaning and the purpose of it, right? It's incredible. There is nothing more intimate than being welcomed into a family. Have you ever had no place to sleep and somebody lets you stay at their house? Is that not one of the most kind, welcoming things a person can do for you? Is it not? That's incredible. I will never forget when I was 21 years old, a college student at the University of Memphis, I was lost. And man, I was as lost as you can be. Many of you have heard my testimony. I'm not talking about the park tonight. I was lost, 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 chasing after the world. I mean, just hated Christianity. Like I was against it with everything in me. And the week after I got saved, I got on Instagram and I really wanted to come to The View. Like badly. I'd never been, but I heard about it. And I heard there were some pretty girls there, too. And that was a draw for me. I wasn't ashamed about it. I was like, look, I'll go. I don't care. I'll try it out. I was like, don't, don't amen that. Don't amen that. Come on, man. I've been saved for a week. You better have just gotten saved last week. And uh, I heard about The View. But here's the thing, though. I got saved the day after Christmas. Normally, The View doesn't do anything over winter break. So I was checking right around January 1st. And you're not going to believe this. I got on their Instagram, and I was hoping for something. And they had a... New Year's service, January 3rd, two days away. Two days away. I was like, oh, snap. I was like, this is a sign from the Lord. I'm supposed to go. But I was nervous. I had a leather jacket on, too. I felt cool. I mean, I looked in the mirror five times to make sure that jacket was good. I was nervous. And I pull up to the building, and uh, I go inside, and I walk in the door. And the first person I meet when I walk inside the view door is Corey O'Hara. Some of you know him. He's a middle school pastor here at Bellevue. He's a clown. I love him. And I meet him for the first time, and we're having a conversation. And this is my genuine first impression. This is the, probably the first believer, just to give you guys context of my environment. This was probably the first believer, the first Christian I had interacted with in six or seven years, right? Besides my family. I was not around Christians. Understand this. I was in the coaching world. All of my friends were older African-American men, fellow coaches. Like, that's who I was around. I was not around believers. I was not around church people. My impression of church people was not good. I thought they were fake and weird, to be honest with you. I didn't like them. So when I walk in and I met Corey and I had a conversation with him, Goose, the very first thing I thought was, this guy's actually normal. <laughs> this guy's actually cool. This guy can have a conversation. I was like, man, Christians might not be that weird. Right? I was like, it might not be that bad, Ethan. It might be okay. And man, <laughs> so we sit down, we have a conversation. Three months go by. I'm learning the word. I'm learning about prayer. I'm getting into it. And Corey comes to me, and he asks me if I want to move in with him. Let me give you guys context. The view, we used to have our own building down near University of Memphis. We outgrew the building, praise God. That's why we're here, because we needed more room. We outgrew the building. He asked me if I wanted to move in with him and literally share a room with him. Now, I've been at my parents' house, and I was looking to get around believers, and I was looking to grow. And he said, listen, you come, you come live with me. Come move in with me. Come share a room with me. I'll teach you what it means to really be a believer. And then I remember moving my stuff in. And as I was moving in, all the enemy put on my mind was how much baggage I had as I moved in to share a room with him. This guy, to me, was like 
top of the line, like knew the Bible, knew the word, knew prayer, like was a whole disciple of Christ. Like I was like, this dude's for real. I was like, I can't mess up and cuss at all, right? I was like, I can't cuss around this dude at all or he's gonna know that I am still trying to figure this all out. And all I could think about was the baggage I was bringing into this. I was like, man, I am raw. I don't know the Bible. I don't know how to pray. I'm trying to figure this all out. I have a lot of insecurities. I have a lot of worries. I have a lot of doubts about my faith. I dragged all that baggage with me as I moved into the room with him. Not just that, I brought physical baggage. My clothes were everywhere. I shared a room with him and I did a terrible job of hanging my clothes up. I'll be honest, they was all over the couch because I had a clothes pile on my couch because I wouldn't hang them up. I had physical baggage. And the entire time I shared a room with this dude, the entire time for three months, not once did he make me feel bad about the baggage I had brought in. Not one time did he make me feel bad about the insecurities or the doubts I had in my faith or the lack of Bible knowledge I had or the lack of prayer that I was trying to figure out. Not one time. He moved me in to where he was sleeping to teach me how to be a believer. And not once did he ever make me feel bad about my baggage. He welcomed me in to literally move somebody in to the place where they exist to make you a part of the family. Even when you have baggage is one of the most clear ways of love you can show. Now imagine the baggage I had brought into that. Think about the baggage that you and I bring to our relationship with God. Think about how God knows every thought, every word, every sin, every insecurity, every fear. We bring so much baggage. And yet Jesus in John 14 says, I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's house or many rooms. Do you understand the glory and the honor that Christ wants to live with you literally. He wants his spirit to dwell inside of you. He wants you to spend eternity with him in heaven. He is offering, if you're a believer, he has welcomed you into the family of God, even with the baggage you carry and you brought into it. And when you mess up every time you return to him, he doesn't condemn you. When you repent, he forgives you, he restores you. That's the glory. There is nothing more intimate than God moving you into his family, moving you into eternity, allowing you to have a place even with all the baggage that you bring. But for a lot of us, we don't understand the glory that comes with being a child of God. So we really don't think we bring that much baggage into our relationship with God. We don't think we're that bad. We're like, man, God could actually, God's actually benefiting from having me in the family. God should thank me for being a part of the family. No, no, no. Now, I want to give you three things that come with being a child of God. What that means is, first off, A, it means that you were pursued on purpose. And you write this down in your notes. First off, it means that A, you were pursued on purpose. That Christ came after you. Corey came after me, offered me a place to stay, a place to live. People have pursued you to love you, to teach you about the faith. You were pursued on purpose. Adoption is a beautiful thing. According to statistics, I hope that these bless you a little bit, today there are around 7 million Americans who have been adopted, and around 135,000 children are adopted every year. In fact, I've spoken to parents who have adopted before, and Uh, listening to their reasoning for adoption, a big reason that you find uh, through adoption, a big reason why parents adopt, this should encourage you, is that they, they are able to give children opportunities in life that they wouldn't have had without adoption. They're able to give them 
a purpose and a meaning in their life that they may not have had, Sam, that, that some people aren't born into really great opportunities, right? Like the world is bigger than just you and me. There are people in this world that are born into really hard situations. And sometimes adoption is the one thing that can give somebody opportunities in life. Now you take that concept and you apply it to being adopted by God. God adopts you into his family so that he can give you opportunities in this life that you never would have had. That you were pursued on purpose. That God came for you. In fact, most of all, John 3.16 teaches us that Jesus pursued you through the cross. He desires to have a relationship with you. In Genesis chapter 3, when man and woman sinned, it was God who came after them and called out for them. God initiated looking for them and said, where are you? You have been pursued. In fact, Romans 5 verse 8 says it all. It says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's humbling that when nobody else pursues you, when nobody else wants you, Christ pursues you. You know, most people barely know anything about you. They know your social media. They know some facts about you. Most people don't even know you, and yet still they will reject you. The glory of the cross is that God knows everything about you, and every single day he is pursuing you to have real and active personal relationship with him. I want to ask you a question. Are you wasting it? Are you wasting it? The opportunities that you've been given through being adopted into God's family. First and foremost, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, which means you have the opportunity to literally hear from God all day long, to speak to God all day long. You have direct access through the Holy Spirit. Are you wasting that? Not only that, but when you're just living in the world, when I was 21 and lost, I wasn't impacting anybody's life in, a, in an eternal way. Now, knowing God, you have the real opportunity to make an eternal impact, not just a life impact, an eternal impact. Are you wasting that? I heard an illustration from Tony Evans one time. This is one of my favorite illustrations, and it has to do with sand, which is so funny. I love going to the beach. Anybody love going to the beach? Amen. I've realized some people hate sand. I love the sand, right? Some people, they go to the beach, they're like, ah, I don't want any sand on me. I'm like, well, then you came to the wrong place. I'm like, you need to go find a mountain. Like, don't come here and complain about the sand. You know what I mean? It's like the smell of sunscreen. I love the smell of sunscreen, amen? Some people hate it. I love it, man. I love it. Summer's here. What's amazing about sand, you go to the beach, sand, sand is free. Sand's cheap. You can go to the beach, you can grab a bucket tray, you can fill up all the sand you want taking home. Ain't nobody going to say anything about it. It's crazy. He goes on to say this about sand, right? This is crazy. He says, you can go to the beach, collect sand for free. It costs nothing. Once sand is bagged, watch this. It's very fascinating. Once sand is bagged in order to use for a playground or something along those lines, it now costs money. You think about this. It's simple. It's not crazy. What was free now costs $25 for a 25-pound bag. Not only that, though, once they glue sand to paper, and they make sandpaper, its value goes up again. Now sandpaper is $5 a sheet. Watch this. It's really incredible. It's so simple. But the value has increased with the change in its purpose. Watch this. Now here's a fascinating one. Sand is silicon dioxide. When sand is taken, heated, and processed, it becomes an intricate part of a computer chip that's worth $500. A bag of sand, sandpaper, a 
computer ship. What was once free on the beach now has extreme value, and what changed was its use. Watch this. He goes on to say that the sand is the same, but it has now found greater value because it has a greater purpose. It actually has a part to play. I'll tell you guys, before Christ, I was existing. And so were you. Before Christ, you and I, I'm speaking to believers, were basically sand on the beach, just existing. Not making any real impact, not making any mark or meaning. But when you become a child of God, you are no longer just sand sitting on the beach. God gives you purpose. God gives your life meaning. And when God gives purpose, God gives value too. See, God never gives purpose that doesn't come with value as well. And what I love about this is knowing Christ doesn't just mean that you have a role. It means that you have value. It means that you are loved. It means that you are worth something. And most importantly, Colossians, you're worth something to the creator of the heavens and the earth, not just the people in this world. So when you become a child of God, you have a purpose. And when your purpose increases, your value does too. God adds purpose to your life, and he also adds value to your life. He adds it all. Which leads me into my second subpoint: B, you were purchased at a price. You cost something. You were not free. Somebody had to pay something for you. In fact, they had to pay the highest price for you. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 to 20 says this, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. You were purchased at a price. In order for you to even be able to be a part of the family of God, somebody had to shed his blood for you and me. Somebody had to die for you. Somebody had to pay your sins for you to be able to be a part of this family. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to walk away with some of these. In order to, to be accepted in Christ, here's what it means. There's a few things scripturally. The first one, it means that you are justified. You can write that down in your notes. Being a child of God, first off, means that you are justified which is very important to understand. Romans 5, verse 1, and I'm going to give you these very quickly. We're going to run through these. Romans 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first one is you are justified. In your acceptance in Christ, being a child of God, you are justified. Not only that, but it means you are united with the Lord and one with him in spirit. I'll give you a minute to write that down. When you become a child of God, scripturally, you are united with the Lord and one with Him in spirit. As you're writing, I'll give you this reference. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17 says, But anyone joined to the Lord is one with Him. It means you are united with the Lord. Not only that, it means you are a saint, which is humbling, which is Incredible to think of. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, at the very beginning of his letter, says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. 
Not only that, but it means that you have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. Which is so funny to think about. There are celebrities in this world that you can never get access to. But the creator of the heavens and the earth have made himself accessible to you through the Holy Spirit. Uh, my reference for this is Ephesians 2, verse 18. <clears throat> for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's Ephesians 2, verse 18. So it means you have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. Not only that, it means that you have been redeemed and forgiven of all your sins. I'll leave this one up there on the screen for you for a moment. It means that you have been redeemed. You've been purchased. You've been paid for. You've been forgiven of your sins. You have got, if God has forgiven you for something, you've got to forgive yourself of it too. You cannot continue to condemn yourself for something that Christ is not condemning you for. Let yourself be forgiven if you are forgiven. You have been redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Jeff Maxwell says it all the time. You have been redeemed. My reference for this is Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, which is very clear. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Paul doesn't foil any punches. In him we have redemption. That is the forgiveness of sins. Lastly, and probably one of the most triumphantly, it means you are complete in Christ. If you are not married, you are not lacking a part of your identity. <laughs> Understand this. If you get married one day, you will be one with your spouse. Praise God for that. But college students often walk around thinking they are incomplete because they haven't married their soulmate. <laughs> I wish we had time for that discussion tonight. But we don't, or we'd be here till two in the morning debating on whether soulmates exist or not. I do not believe they do. It means you are complete in Christ. You don't lack anything. You are not waiting for something to make you complete. And I'm glad the stairs are here tonight. Amen. Somebody had to move these stairs there. That's an illustration. Let's look at this. You are complete in Christ. I want you to understand scripturally. If you have Jesus, there's not a spouse you're waiting on to complete you. That You cannot put that on somebody else. Understand this. If you have Jesus Christ, you are not waiting for a career to complete you. You can't put that on a career. If you are in Christ, you are not waiting for a financial amount to secure you. You can't put that on money. It's too wavering. You can't have a house to complete you. There's no popularity that will complete you. Understand scripturally, if you have Christ, you are complete. You are whole. It is Christ who makes you whole. There is not anything else you need to make you whole. How encouraging is that? Hallelujah. How encouraging is that? <laughs> that you are complete in Christ. That you are not waiting for anything. Are there good things out there for you? Absolutely. There's blessings. There's, there may be marriage. There may be careers. There may be all these different things. But at the end of the day, none of those things will do for you what only Christ can do for you. I said thank you for the stairs. I only went two steps down. My reference for this is Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You have been filled by Christ. You are whole. I've been reading a book actually with our pastor, Brother Steve. And one of the quotes from that book, it's, it's, uh, it'll be on the screen. You can take a picture of it if you want. It says this, Nothing is more foundational to your freedom from Satan's bondage 
then understanding and affirming what God has done for you in Christ and who you are as his child. Your attitudes, actions, responses, and reactions to life's circumstances are greatly affected by what you believe about yourself. If you see yourself as a helpless victim of Satan and his schemes, you will probably live like a victim and be in bondage to his lies. But if you see yourself as a dearly loved and accepted child of God, you will likely start living like one. Woo! He goes on to say in that book that there is nothing more detrimental to the believer that is in chains than not understanding why they are a child of God and what it means to be a child of God. Next week, we're going to talk about being a friend of Christ. Before we even get to that, understand how powerful it is to be a child of God, that you are a part of a family that Satan will attack but ultimately cannot get to you. You are protected. You are held. You are loved. You are cared for if you know Christ. If not, you're trying to do this all on your own. That's a dangerous place to be. That's a dangerous place to be. When you gain Christ, you gain a new identity in him. It's C.S. Lewis who says at the end of his book in Mere Christianity, and I'll butcher it, I don't have the quote for tonight, but he says that we go on the search for our identity and we try to gain everything in the world, but we never find it. But it's when we empty ourselves of all of our pursuits, and this is not a direct quote, when we empty ourselves of all of our worldly pursuits to find ourselves, and when we gain Christ, we gain him and our identity included with it. We gain who we are when we gain Christ. Do you know who you are? Our question is, who am I? Do you know who you are? Do you know what it means to be a child of God? Do you know? Do you live that way? Do you look any different than the world? Really? I mean, honestly. Do you really look different? Do I look different? Because sadly, a lot of us have Christ, but still try to live with the identity we had before him. Some of us are children of God and we're still living as lost souls trying to find an identity in the world. Whatever is your highest priority, that is where you will find your identity. Whatever is your highest priority, that is what you will find in your identity. For me with coaching, it was the amount of wins I could get. Oh, yeah. I'm going to beat the brakes off you. And as I beat the brakes off you, I'm going to feel real good about myself too. For some of us in here, it's money, it's career, it's opinions of people. What's your highest priority? That will drive your identity every time. Some of, for some of us, it's humor, being the funniest person in the world. For some of us, it's intelligence, being the smartest college student in the world. For some of us, it's popularity, it's sin, whatever it may be. I want to tell you, one of the quotes that will be on the screen is this. It's not enough to live with the Christian title. We're called to live out Christ-like transformation. We're called to be transformed. We're not just adding a title to ourselves. We are being transformed. We're supposed to look different than the world. If you're a child of God and you look like a child of the world, don't be surprised when nobody wants what you claim to have. Do you look different? I just did a wedding this weekend. It was a beautiful wedding. The sky fell out. It rained on us like crazy. We had to change all the chairs up, had to change the whole game plan. I wasn't the coordinator, so I wasn't having to make those shots, praise the Lord, but I was doing the wedding. And one of the most nerve-wracking parts of the wedding for me is when I signed the marriage license. I call Hannah over every time. I ask her about 10 times, hey, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? Like she's married people and signed off on their marriage license. I'm asking her like, hey, have I done this right? Where do I sign? You know, I'm nervous every single time. I signed y'all's marriage license. Praise the Lord. Praise God. It's going well so far. Hallelujah. (laughs) 
marriage license. It's nerve-wracking. And uh, Saturday, I took the pen. Jamie was taking some pictures. I went to sign the marriage license. I thought about it for a minute. The reason I get nervous during that moment, I was telling my team this, the reason I get nervous in that moment is not because I feel like I'm going to you know, mess up and mess my signature up. It's that as I sign my name on that marriage license, I am putting my name as a witness to the fact that I have seen firsthand an identity change. Kaylee Malone, one of our loved leaders, got married. And as I sign on that marriage license, I sign that she is no longer Kaylee Malone. She is Kaylee Penn, her new last name. I am putting my name on the fact that I have witnessed an identity change. And I want to tell you, if she continues to live as if she's Kaylee Malone and not Kaylee Penn, she's going against the new identity that she has found through this commitment. That's the reason why some of you have so many troubles in your life. It's because you're trying to live with your old identity before Christ instead of embracing the new one you have in him. Just like a marriage, just like y'all's marriage, just like a wedding, when you commit your life to Jesus, you are entering into a covenant and a commitment that you have a new identity. You have a name change. You have a title change. You have been transformed. You are now a child of God. But if you live like a child of the world, after you have become a child of God, don't be surprised when you have so much baggage and worries and fears and doubts all the time. It's because you're trying to live against your new identity. So who are you? If you don't know Jesus tonight, I can tell you, you don't, you don't know yet the glory of Christ. But if you are a believer, your identity has to be rooted and grounded in Christ and Christ alone, or else you will get swayed anytime something in this world hits you. Do you know who you are? Do I know who I am? Are we any different than the world? And lastly, C, you are loved unconditionally. Somebody say amen. Amen. There it is. You are loved unconditionally. So our main point tonight is that you, if you know Christ, you have been amazingly adopted into God's family. And what that means, first off, to recap our night, is A, you were pursued for a purpose. B, you were purchased for a price. And C, you are loved unconditionally. I love my mom. I love my dad. I love being a part of the Harris family. I don't know what your family background is like. We're not perfect, that's for sure. We've had our trials. We've had our battles, that's for sure. I love being a part of the Harris family. And one of my favorite things about growing up is whenever I messed up, I never got kicked out of the family. When I was hard-headed, when I was prideful, when I was quiet, when I was depressed, when I was chasing after marijuana, when I was chasing after the sins of the world, when I was chasing after money, chasing after popularity, did my family have to get on me? Did they discipline me? Absolutely. Did they give me tough love? Absolutely. Did they coach me? Yes. But no matter what I did, no matter how stupid I was, I was loved unconditionally. And even if I didn't have that in my earthly mom or dad, scripturally, I can always know that I have that in my heavenly father too. And so do you. It doesn't matter your earthly family background, what lessons you learned or didn't learn, but I can tell you this. As a child of God, you are loved unconditionally, which means you don't get kicked out of the family. When you mess up, when you come to God, when you repent, you are forgiven, you are embraced, you are loved. In fact, scripture tells us that you are celebrated the prodigal son. You are celebrated 
When you give your life to Jesus, when you turn to him, when you run to him, you are so welcome. Is there discipline? Absolutely. Are there consequences we have to deal with? For sure. But students, walk away tonight knowing that being accepted in Christ means that you are loved unconditionally. You are loved. And you don't get kicked out of the family. And the closer you walk with Christ, the more you obey, the more you seek to truly know him, the more you will experience his goodness. Don't leave blessings on the table because you were pursuing the world and not pursuing God. Don't leave joy on the table because you were searching for it out in the world. And most of all, don't leave acceptance on the table because you were trying to be accepted by the world. The minute the world came, it will reject you. You have acceptance in Christ. Rest in that. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me. And the band's going to make their way back out here. And as we speak about acceptance, some of you tonight have never accepted the Lord into your life for the first time. Some of you are children of the Lord. You are a part of God's family, but goodness gracious, you're not living like it in a lot of areas. I want to give you a couple of invitations as the band makes their way back out here. With your head bowed and nobody looking around. My first invitation is to believers tonight, to those who would say, I am a child of God. If you're here and you do know the Lord, would you take a moment and reflect on the goodness of being a child of God? Take a moment and think about what it truly means to be a part of God's family, that he pursued you, purchased you, and loves you. Now for the believer, if you've been looking for acceptance in anything except Christ, would you lay that at his feet tonight and say, I don't want it? That's my invitation for you tonight. If you're a child of the Lord and your acceptance is coming from anything besides God himself, would you right now just say, God, that's yours, I don't want it? There's nothing worth you. I give it to you. Just praise the Lord. Just thank the Lord tonight. Man, if you're a believer in Christ, there are so many people out there. I was one of them for a long time who have no idea who they are. I had no idea who I was or who I was supposed to be. But because of Christ, I do, and you do too if you're a believer. Take a moment, believer, and thank the Lord that you know who you are and you have an identity in him. And last thing to the believers, man, if you're a child of God, live like it. Act like it. Treat others like it. What are you going to do this week with your opportunity with your adoption, being in God's family, what are you going to do with it? 